as you find your place in Ephesians 5. I want to read a few verses from Romans 6. This morning we'll be looking particularly at verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul writes in the first few verses of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The end of these verses, there is a comparison between the resurrection of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead by the glory of the Father and the believer now himself being raised from the spiritual, from spiritual death by the glory of the Father to walk in newness of life. So perhaps there is a question when we come to this verse and we really consider it Perhaps the question could be asked, how do I walk in newness of life? How do I do this new thing? How do I sing this new song that is in my heart? How do I live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God? The word that Paul uses here in the second verse, how, do we, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It's not the same word either in our English translations or in the original in which Paul wrote it, the word live and the word walk in Ephesians 4 and 5. But it's the same idea. It's the same concept. So we could ask this question knowing that the Lord gives us an answer. The entirety of the New Testament, really the entirety of Scripture, is given to us to teach us how to walk in newness of life. When you do something new in life, you need instruction. If you're learning a new skill or a new trade, a new thing of any kind, very few of us can just begin with something new and have immediate success with it. But if we have something to show us the way, if we have something to detail for us, the steps that we must take, if we have a blueprint, so to speak, or an instruction manual, then we can begin to make some real progress in this new thing, whatever it is. So bringing that back down into our spiritual life, we're called to walk in newness of life, so how do we go about it? The 4th, 5th, and 6th chapters of the book of Ephesians that we are studying goes a long way to give us the answer to how to walk in newness of life. We are to walk in this light of Christ that we have been given. And what we have here in these chapters and in the entirety of the scriptures is so much more than just a cut and dry, black and white, lifeless blueprint or instruction manual. It is a spiritual, inspired of God, 
living, active word that effectually works in those who believe, and it teaches us step by step how to walk in newness of life. That's the way we walk in in actuality and physical life, right? Step by step. But the scriptures teach us line upon line, precept upon precept, how to live in newness of life. And interestingly, the beginning of the fourth chapter that called us to walk worthy of Christ or the calling with which we are called also tells us that we are to walk in unity. So this goes very contrary to what we most often hear or perhaps you heard as a young Christian or some point in your life that doctrine is to be avoided because it is divisive. Well, there's no way that we can get around the point that doctrine does put us in different categories and groups. But there is much of doctrine, especially when we keep it centered around the person of Jesus Christ and how his life is lived in us that unites us together. And so the real truth is that doctrine is the most unifying thing. The Spirit of God takes the truth of the Scripture, puts it in my heart and in your heart, and then calls us to walk in step with one another and in step with the Spirit. So we're not going to be afraid of applying the doctrines that we've been taught in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. We're going to glory in these things that tell us how to live, how to walk in newness of life. And just note how practical in nature Paul is. This is the last, this morning, and perhaps next week, the last of what we can call general exhortation. That is immediately applicable to every Christian. In future weeks, we're going to get very specific as Paul addresses the individuals that comprise the body of Christ. The wives, the husbands, the children, the servants. He tells each one how they are to walk in newness of life. Because a Christian wife is going to conduct herself far different than a wife outside of Christ. And so a husband, and so children, and so servants, and so fathers and mothers, and all of these that round out the specific categories that Paul addresses. But this morning we come to what is really the final exhortation to the general people of God. And it's in verse 15 and verse 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the light that it gives, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the very word of God himself. We're thankful to know that he is indeed the light of the world and that we are called to walk in the light that he has given us. Lord, help us to understand these verses rightly. Help us to see the serious nature of them. Help us to walk circumspectly. Help us to redeem the time. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
So those are the two broad categories that we'll look at out of these two verses. To walk circumspectly. We're going to answer the question, what does this mean? What is Paul's expectation? How do we go about walking circumspectly? And secondly, to see the urgency of redeeming the time. Because we do indeed live in evil days. And in this category, evil days is not just the present. It's this span of time that exists between Christ ascending into heaven in Acts chapter 1 and his coming descent from heaven in the same way that he went into heaven. These are the evil days or the last days that we are living in. So let's first look at what does it mean? What is the expectation here of Scripture that we walk circumspectly? The New American Standard uses the words, therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you live. Not as fools, but as wise. So I want to talk about this word circumspect for just a minute. It means to give strict focus and attention, meticulous attention, to detail. That's the way that you and I are called to live as Christians. With meticulous attention to what we do, what we say, where we go, who our friends are. Everything about us is to be scrutinized as we live in the light of Christ. So two, two other places in the scripture where this word or this concept is used that might help us. You might remember in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, the wise men are coming. They come to Herod. Herod meets with them and he dispatches them. And in the 8th verse he says, go and search carefully for the young child. So he's telling them to go on their way and to go into Bethlehem and to look very carefully, turn over every rock, look in every closet, go everywhere that they can and try to find this child. The second place that this is used and is helpful is in Luke's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 3, when Luke took in hand to write a narrative of those things which he had seen. He says, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account. A meticulously detailed account of the life of Jesus Christ. So the wise men are to meticulously search out the Christ child. And Luke is saying he is writing an orderly, meticulously ordered account that brings us back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, where Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly. The very opposite of haphazardly. The very opposite of giving no thought to your life or to the details of your life. Some have defined this word as a skill developed through reflection on spiritual truth and then applying them to the experiences of life. To walk circumspectly is a skill that we are taught by the Spirit to bring Him glory. And we're going to see in just a few minutes the urgency of this call because we are living in evil 
days. Now, before we go any further, I want to just stop and ask a question, and I've asked this question of my own heart, and I want to extend it to you. How much thought, how much scrutinizing, meticulous thought do you give to your life as a Christian and to the things you put your hand to, to the things that you say, to the things that you read, to the things that you watch, to the things that you expose yourself to? This is what we're called to do, to walk circumspectly with giving great detail, realizing that the reputation of Christ and his gospel is bound up in the way that I conduct myself. You cannot escape that reality and that truth as you live the Christian life. If you are a professor of Jesus Christ and you have openly avowed that you are following Christ and have committed your life to him, that he has saved you and you are now his, then your life, the way that you live, the reputation of Christ and his gospel is bound up with you. People observe you to be a Christian because of your profession of faith. You can bet that they are going to watch how you live. Your co-workers, the very people that you are trying to evangelize with your words, are not only hearing your words, they're watching your life. The greatest way that you can disconnect from being of any use to them is to not have the way that you live be in harmony with the words that are coming out of your mouth. You will be declared, as will I, to be a hypocrite very quickly if our lives do not match our profession. So this skill of walking circumspectly Notice that Paul says, see then, or look carefully how you walk. This is just on the heels of what we looked at last week. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Is it any wonder that he begins with, see or look? You're having light shown upon you by Christ. Now you are to see or to live, look carefully as you walk in this life giving attention to all circumstances and consequences just as if you are passing through a dangerous place. Now think about that for a moment. You can paint the picture in your own mind of the dangerous place. I won't try to help you there, but whatever that represents for you, if you know you have to walk through it, initially you're going to observe, you're going to look, you're going to try to consider the outcome of each step, each circumstance, and what the consequence of failure may be. If you misstep, or if you misjudge something, every detail of you making your way through this dangerous place is going to come into play and affect whether or not you get to the other side. So, Realizing the limitations of any illustration, try to bring this back and notice that every circumstance, every consequence, as we walk through this evil age, is to be considered with the greatest scrutiny, with the goal of, will I be able to bring Christ glory through this action? 
Is it going to be what we looked at last week in verse 9? Is it right? Is it true? Is it good? This is the fruit of light or the fruit of the Spirit, what is being produced in our life, goodness, righteousness, and truth. So then see that you walk circumspectly. The greatest tool that we have to walk circumspectly, obviously, is the Word of God, the Scriptures. This is what prepares us for Christian life. This is what prepares us to walk in newness of life. And I want to read you a somewhat lengthy quote by John Newton. I read this several years ago, and it's been so helpful to me. I've got it written in several places where I run across it from time to time, and I did that this week. And he really speaks to the issue of how the Word of God equips you to walk circumspectly or to look carefully how you walk in the Christian life. Listen to what he says. The Word of God is not to be used as a lottery. What does he mean by that? He's saying just you're not supposed to come to the Word and open it here, put your finger there, and find a rule for life. It's to be taken together. He goes on and says, The Word of God is not designed to instruct us by a shred here and a scrap there. But it is to furnish us with just principles, right apprehensions, and to regulate our judgments and affections, and thereby to influence and direct our conduct. So you're tracking with him so far? You take the entirety of the scriptures as you study it, as you begin to realize the principles that are found in the scriptures concerning Christian living. He goes on to say, by treasuring up the doctrines, precepts, promises, examples, and exhortations of scripture in their minds, and daily comparing themselves with that rule by which they walk, Christians then grow into a habitual frame of spiritual wisdom this is our goal to have the scriptures so renew our minds that we grow into a place of spiritual wisdom to walk circumspectly in the light of christ guided all the way by the rule of scripture now notice the second thing paul says not as fools, but as wise. Sometimes we just have to love the simplicity of Scripture, don't we? Paul says, do not be a fool, but be wise. Those of you who know Psalm 14 and verse 1, what has the fool said in his heart? The fool has said in his heart, that there is no God. Or very literally, the fool has said in his heart, no to God. A fool is defined by William Hendrickson as one who has a regard as very important what is in reality of minor value or even harmful. What he's saying there is a fool is one, as you comp- as you. Read the book of Proverbs and you see what is being described there is the fool on one hand 
and the wise on the other hand. A fool is one who gives his heart and his life to something that he has deemed to be of the highest value, but in reality and in the light of eternity is nothing more than vanity. Nothing more than passing and fleeting shadows and in reality very often is harmful or even evil. You cannot walk circumspectly in the Christian life as a fool without your mind informed of the Scripture. So on the other hand, Paul says, walk as wise. You and I as Christians have been made wise in Christ. He has become for us the very wisdom of God. And we are to walk in Him. Scrutinizing everything about our life. Examining our life. Weighing each decision. And the outcome of it. What might the consequence be of this action or that action? Is it going to lead further and further to my, the evidence of my profession in Christ being real? Or is it going to point to something far different? When you look at this verse, you realize that the difference is made. The vast difference between the fool and the wise is the light of Christ shines upon the one and not the other. The other, the one, the fool, is groping in darkness. He has no real guide in life that gives him the, the value and the meaning of living as a redeemed person of God and to the glory of Christ. He lives in vanity. His days are spent in futility. He is storing up for himself the wrath and judgment of God. He's wasting his life. He is not redeeming the time. He is doing the very opposite of it. The wise, on the other hand, realizes that his days or her days are numbered. That there is but a short time in this life to honor and glorify the Lord. That there is only one place where he or she can turn to find out that which will give them any direction at all into how to, as to how to live a life that is honoring to him. And the result very often, if you know Proverbs 13 and verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. I bring that verse in only to say, if you are walking circumspectly, if you are looking carefully unto your life, one of the greatest areas that you will scrutinize is your sphere of companions. Young people, if you are professing faith in Christ, though this applies to all of us of any age, particularly applies to you, if you are professing Christians, surround yourself with other Christians and walk in the light with them. Go and read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs calls you and me, young or old, to come out of that companion of companionship of fools, those who are lying in wait to shed innocent blood. It calls us to come out and surround ourselves with those who are walking in wisdom. 
The end of Proverbs 13, 20, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. There is not a greater error that you can make as a Christian than to think that those you are living life with does not matter or will not affect you. It will and it does. That's why the church of Jesus Christ is so important. That's why Paul is stressing that in these final chapters. That's why he stresses the unity of believers. That's why he stresses the forbearance of believers. One to another. That's why he is stressing the absolute necessity of Christians being together, united in Christ. But one other thought before we move on. Not only is the opposite of walking circumspectly to walk haphazardly, I think we could relate it this way as well. One of the opposites of walking circumspectly is to walk in complacency. If a circumspect walk is is an intense scrutinizing of your life, then the opposite of it may very well be just living in rank complacency. Not caring. Not scrutinizing. Just trying to get through life. Ian Hamilton says, note the danger of complacency. Passing time and pleasant providences take the edge off of watchfulness. We must be alert to our own weakness and to the wiles of the devil. If you are walking circumspect, you are taking note of the dangers. You know your own weaknesses. You know there are places you can't go. You know that there are things that you can't do. You know there are people that you just can't be around for long. You've learned these things and you're trying to walk in that wisdom. A fool has no concern. He goes from one supposed joy to another, not realizing that these supposed joys end in the way of destruction. So we're to walk, looking carefully to our life, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The second part of this in verse 16 is to redeem the time because the days are evil. So let's look at this word redeeming the time. I think this speaks to the urgency of the situation. This is a time to do exactly what verse 14 says. Awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. This is one of those things in scripture that you run across that that is there to kind of shake you and get your attention. To show you the reality in which we are living because so often circumstances and pleasant providences and the passing of time does take the edge off of our watchfulness. And then we run across a verse like verse 16 that reminds us that this life is to be filled with urgency and zeal because the days in which we live are indeed evil. Some of your translations translate the word redeem as Make the most of your time. 
or make the best use of your time. I don't know if this is smiting your conscience like it does mine, but at the, at the end of very many days, if I was to ask the question, did I make the most of my time today? Very often I would have to answer no. You know, we often complain that we don't have time to do this or that. In reality, we waste so much of the time that we do have. The Lord has given us the time. Our disciplined use of the time is something far different. And this is what Paul is speaking at. You and I, there are a number to our days. And God in mercy has not disclosed that number. And it is a mercy that we don't know when the end of our days are. But what we do know is that we are to redeem the time that we have. To redeem means to buy back, to purchase. It's the same word that, that is used extensively in the book of Galatians, in the book of Romans, to speak of the redemption that we have through the shed blood of Christ. And when we look at the, the, the import of that into this word, then we can see very quickly that very often redeeming the time is going to cost. It cost Christ His life and the shedding of His blood to redeem us. And so if we are to redeem time, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us perhaps some pleasure or some time given to hobby or whatever it may be. If we are walking circumspectly, then we are to redeem the time, buy it back, Make the most of it or make the best use of it. Notice the very first thing that Paul says when he says to walk as wise is to use your time well. This shows the great disparity, I, I believe, of the fool and the wise how they use their time. And you're not hearing me say that there's no time for fun and joy and giving yourself to recreation and entertainment to some degree. You're not hearing me say that at all. But to live with a sober frame of mind. To understand that there is only a certain amount of time that we have to be used of Christ in this world and that we are to redeem it. What's the reason given? Boy, do we know this. The days, because the days are evil. We live in a day like many Christians before us, where evil is shown to be good and good is shown to be evil. We live in a day when many have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. We live in a day where much is categorized by the fool in verse 15. 
We don't need proof that the days in which we live are evil. And they are evil because of sin in the world. You and I cannot escape these evil days, and that's important. Notice, Paul is not saying, the days are evil, flee. Go find a cave somewhere and live out your days. It's not at all what he's saying. That's not what the Scriptures would say at all. The reality that the days are evil only serves to prove the point that as Christians living in these evil days, we need to make the most of our time. We need to use our time wisely, asking questions at the end of each day. I wonder if this week, if you would involve yourself in this practice. It's a daunting practice. It's a revealing practice. It's a convicting practice. And it's a practice that may make you repent at the end of each day. But I wonder moving forward, at the end of each day, you would ask and do a a real inspection of your own heart and life have I made the most of my time did I use this day in wisdom was there anything done in this day into the glory of God was there anything that was done in this day that was performed not in my own strength but in the strength of Christ in me I saw this weekend, I don't have the note here, so I may get this wrong. I may stumble through this, but I'm going to try to, to get it right. Someone put an advertisement in the paper, obviously, years ago. In the lost and found. And it says, lost. Yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset. Reward. Nothing, because it is lost forever. Now, the reality of that for a Christian should should sink in. Redeeming time has nothing to do with the past. It's an impossibility to go back into the past and change anything. Redeeming the time has everything to do with present and future living. What will you do with this day that you've been given? What will you do with tomorrow if it comes? Will you redeem it? Will you make the most of it? Will you buy it back, so to speak? Or will you live it out in frivolity and as a fool? These days are evil. As we go through into chapter 6, especially the end of chapter 6, where Paul details for us the armor of God, the whole armor of God, and the necessity for Christians to figuratively and spiritually clothe themselves in this armor of God, the reason being is because the days are evil. Satan remains as the adversary. He is very much still what Peter declared him to be, a lion on the prowl seeking whom he may devour. And if he can discredit Christ through bringing you, a professing Christian, down into the muck and the mire of the world, you can bet he will. 
The days are evil. Redeem it. Redeem the time. How do you do that? I think you go right back to verse 15. These things seem to, to be a circular pattern. How do I redeem the time? Well, I consider carefully every step of my Christian walk. I walk circumspectly, not as a fool, but as wise. As I redeem the time because the days are evil. And then tomorrow, what do you do? You wake up. And this verse is there to greet you again. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And then in the strength and the grace supplied you by the Lord, you go out and you live in wisdom, walking circumspectly, looking carefully to your life, realizing that you are living in the midst of an evil age, but yet called to shine as lights nonetheless. And you get to the end of the day. And you ask yourself the question. You examine yourself before the Lord. Did I redeem the time today? Did I use it wisely? And if not, you repent. You ask for forgiveness. And you wake up the next morning. And yet there it stands to greet you again. This is every day of your life. Every moment of your life, there is no off time from walking circumspectly. It's when we take time off from this walk that we fall into big trouble. And how just a moment of not looking carefully into your life, just a moment in time that is not redeemed, can destroy, utterly destroy your Christian testimony and character. So see this, verse 15 and 16, as extremely urgent. A daily walk with Christ, walking circumspectly, keeping your life in the light of Christ, even as He keeps you. Now, in the Lord's good providence, these verses have prepared us for the observance of the supper, which itself is a time of great examination. To see if you've walked circumspectly, if you are redeeming the time, or if there is any sin harbored in your heart, what do you do? Thankfully, we know the truth of what John wrote. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to remind ourselves of this. The same Christ that gives such high expectation for his people. To be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This same Christ with such great expectation 
has so much mercy and grace to extend forgiveness when we fail. We'll fail and we'll fail often. But he forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Christian, there's no need for you to be completely beat up over your sin. To be driven to hopelessness and despair. Confess your sins to Christ. He will forgive you. He'll cleanse you. But then I would be foolish not to speak to those who are outside of Christ either. The same applies to you. If you're outside of Christ, your sins have forever sunk you. You are an object of the wrath of God. There is no good end for you. You're living as a fool in this evil age. Your life is being spent in vanity and futility, but it need not be. You might say, well, my sin is great. Well, I have good news for you. Christ is a great Savior. Don't be so arrogant as to think that you are the only person Christ can't forgive. There have been worse than you. And there will be. So when we come to the table, we come through examination, we come remembering. So what Christ said, this do in remembrance of me. What are we remembering about him? We're remembering his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body. And we are by faith taking these elements of the gospel and internalizing them again. We're feasting upon the body and the blood spiritually of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, the scripture tells us we are proclaiming his death until he comes. So let's pray and then I'm going to ask four of you men, I didn't ask you in advance, but four of you, if you would come and help us serve the supper. Father, we thank you for this call to be carefully considering the way that we live, to walk circumspectly in the light of Jesus Christ. And oh God, would you help us, would you give us grace and help of the Spirit to redeem the time? Lord, we know the days are evil. We know that while it appears that sin is abounding, we know that the grace of Christ abounds much more. We're thankful for this ordinance that you've given to your church, a time of sober reflection, a time of examination, a time even of proclamation of the death of Christ, to be able to preach the gospel through symbolism, to remember his broken body and his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. Being the suffering servant, bearing the sin of his people, redeeming us. Father, I pray this would be a spiritually profitable time for us. And that you would use it in our lives for good. 
that you would help us in this moment to proclaim the death of Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.